G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 24 of the Outback Mind podcast. Uh, look, I'm really uh, uh, unsure how to introduce this podcast, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so um, happy and ecstatic to be able to, um, to, be, to be bringing this one to you. So uh, I've had uh, some, some really major concerns for a while about um, guys' health and how that affects mental health. So the physical health and what we're putting into our bodies and how we're sort of just disconnected from that uh we've just become so out of tune with the way our, our bodies are and how they're behaving and working and, and the impact and the link that actually has to mental well-being so uh many of you would know that over the last sort of 10 years i've sort of been looking into nutrition um quite heavily and um sort of gone in and out of that quite a bit but um now i've sort of found a really nice balance with um uh, with with what i'm doing and what I found within myself is I was actually lacking uh, a lot of green uh, products, so you know, green green things into my diet and so forth. So I discovered a, um, an organisation called Green Nutritionals, um, who are an Australian organisation, and they provide a really, really nutrient-rich, um, potent green superfood. So I've started using their products uh, a while back, and I've had some really, really good results. Lifts in mental clarity uh, and also... Uh, my energy levels and so forth as well. So um, I, I explored that even more and I started to have a conversation with their, um, their, their owner and director, Mark McLaurin-Smith. And uh, Mark uh, and I are both from regional Australia uh, and we've got, a, I suppose, a, a real common um, uh, ground with regards to you know, helping back, uh, sorry, helping give back to people in the outback and, and regional areas. So, so Mark has... Um, come to me and we basically decided that we will uh, utilize their products as being our, our, our sponsor on this podcast or a, a supporting partner on this podcast to be able to uh, get information out there to help guys and their product is honestly it's so potent it, it just it, it, it's so good for our bodies to be able to um, to get you know these uh, types of um, magnesium rich calcium rich uh, barley grass rich all the all the amazing stuff that they actually do um you know into our bodies because it just really uh supports health uh and really you know we've outsourced our health too much so if we can actually take control of that by giving our bodies what it needs to thrive then all of a sudden our mental clarity and our mental well-being actually gets better so yeah so i'm really really excited um i need help to be able to get this podcast out there more and more so to get uh, organizations like green nutritionals on board um is really important to me because they're ethical and, and really aligned with what i believe in and what i stand for and what i do and uh, i just think that uh, we've got the power to change uh, mental and physical health um, uh, within australia uh, primarily because we've just as i said outsourced it so much over the last uh 10, 20, 30 decades, now it's time to take our power back. So really having an organisation like this on board is the first step. So really hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Mark. Mark McLaurin-Smith, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you being here, mate. Uh, I just uh, told the listeners a bit about your organisation and what you're doing and, and the great... Um, 
the, the, the great products you actually bring into the, the marketplace in Australia and uh, I, was, I was so um, blessed and grateful to be able to come across what you do and I just know within my own body that's what was needed but also know within the average guy out there that's sort of lacking the nutrients, um, you know, I know how that can really um, uh, help, help their physical and mental well-being but mate, I want you to step us back about your upbringing, uh, you know, your country boy from Cara, you, where you sort of got into uh, professional life and what you actually did and sort of how this, uh, this product came about. Yeah, right. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, well, born and raised in Cowra, born in 53, so I'm 68. Um, life was uh, pretty different in those days, obviously, back then in the bush. Uh, very simple. All we ever did was play sport and go to school. Um, <laughs> I was looking at a photo once. Uh, my mum, she's still alive, actually. She's in 101, 101st year, lives here in uh, Sydney now. Mm. And uh, I, I said to her, oh, what's this photo, mum? Uh, looks like we're going on a holiday somewhere. It was. She said, "Oh, well, that's pretty easy. We, we only went on two holidays. Uh, that was the one to Port Macquarie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other one was to Manly Beach. Um, and, and so uh, life was pretty simple. Mm. Uh, very different to today, where everyone, you know, wants to go somewhere else. But um, you know, life uh, for me in the country was." Uh, was pretty good because, you know, we had a really good family. I had a, 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 an excellent standout father who was my hero. Mm. And although he'd have, had a tough life himself, he, uh, you know, raised five kids and, um, you know, made, uh, coached the footy teams and, uh, you know, coached the athletics teams and just looked after the kids. And, uh, you know, he really enjoyed doing all of that. And he was a very good sportsman himself. When he was younger in Sydney, um, just a bit of trivia on Cowra. Um, a lot of your uh, listeners might remember, you know, that we've got the memorial for Tommy Rodonigus on at the moment, the great rugby league player. Yeah, right. And Tommy was born in Bathurst, but he was raised in Cowra, and he was a mate of ours when we were kids. He, he's three. He was three years older than me, so seventy-one. Um, when he unfortunately passed away last week, but uh, Tommy grew up and I, we played footy with him and my dad coached him in teams when he was 10, 11, 12 years of age. And um, Tommy, uh, he was an amazing person, even at that age, he had a, an incredible personality. Everyone loved him. He was the best football player you've ever met. And he, no matter where he was, if you saw him down the street or if you saw him at school or if you saw him just down at the Oval, he always had a football under his arm. Mm. And one day, this is a story which sort of has resonated down through the years in the family. One day he went to my dad and uh, it, my father's name was Bob and he's like, oh, Mr. McLaurin Smith. He said, you know, when I grow up, he said, I want to play football for Australia. And my dad looked at him and said, Tommy, I can guarantee you, you will definitely play for Australia. He said, but I'll tell you what, I reckon you're going to be captain of Australia. And Tommy's eyes widened and he went, really? Do you think? Do you think I can? And he said, of course you can. Mm. And he did. 
Amazing. Uh, well, that, that's, that, was a, that was a little bit of trivia there from the Cowra days. And of course, all we really cared about back then was playing sport and just hanging out with all the, all the guys. It was a pretty simple life. Um, mm. But I had an older sister who, uh, her name was Nikki. And um, as I mentioned to you earlier, before we started the podcast, she was heavily into the Beatles and she came down with her girlfriend and went and saw them in 1963. Uh, at the stadium in Sydney, which was a big thrill uh, for her. And she went on to become a very, uh, very well-known artist. And um, she exhibited in various countries around the world. And and when she was um, about 17, um, she started going to East Sydney Tech in the summer holidays. And at East Sydney Tech in those days, they had a, an art school during the school holidays. And so kids who were into art, they could go down there and, you know, you learn to draw or paint, sculpt, whatever you wanted to do. Mm. And I was, I, I loved my sister and, you know, sort of worshipped her a little bit. And, and, and uh, somehow I managed to get my parents to allow me to go down to the art school with her. And so... I think it was about the the age of 14, 15, and 16. Now, you've got to remember, when I was 12, I was six foot one tall. So people used to look at me and think that I was 18, but I was only 12 or 13. Jeez, unreal. <laughs> so I used to get away with a lot. We'd even go to the pub and have a beer in those days. Jeez. And nobody ever asked a question about it because we looked a lot older. Mm. Mm. So I'd go to art school with my sister, and I did that for three years in a row, and of course that changed my perspective on a lot of things because, you know, I'd spend six weeks in Sydney, and sure enough, you know, I'd be staying with my auntie and at Maroomba and catching the bus in every day, but I was with my beautiful sister and all of her friends and all of the people in the art world, so it kind of opened my eyes a little bit, you know, from the, the upbringing in Cowra was, was quite simple, but going to the art school in in East Sydney Tech for those three years, you know, really sort of broadened my horizons a bit, if you, if you, you like. And um, so I'd go to the um, to the op shop in um, in Oxford Street in those days, and I'd buy you know like a pea jacket and maybe some you know bell bottom pants and a pair of old Beetle boots or something like that. And I'd wear them back to Cowra, and the first thing, you know, someone, you get into a fight because you look so different. <laughs> mm, unreal. But at the age of 17, I said to my dad, who was a very liberal kind of guy, uh, I said, Dad, you know, I, I want to get my life started. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I want to leave home. I want to go, go to Sydney, get a job. And... Um, my mother wasn't very thrilled about that because she wanted us to be doctors and lawyers. But dad was a sort of working class guy and he said, well, you know, if you really want to do that, then do it. So I did, jumped on the paper truck and went to Sydney and got a job at Maynard Advertising in Pitt Street <laughs> as a copy boy. <laughs> so did that happen very easily? And that's how I started, started my life. And, you know, I went back to Cowra a lot because I had a lot of good friends there. And over the years, uh, a lot of them used to come down to Sydney and they'd want to get started, you know, oh, yeah, the Sydney life's great, and, you know, I, I loved it. Uh, but it's not for everybody, and a lot of the guys came down, they'd spend, like, six months, and then they go home, and they never come back again. Mm. Uh, so, 
you know, it's where you feel, you know, you're most comfortable. If you're, you know, if you're a country boy and you want to live your life in the country, it's a great place to to grow up and to raise your family. But, of course, I understand what the challenges are, and, and there are many. Um, like you, Aaron, I mean, you do, your work is uh, valuable and helps a lot of people, and you know, the country is a fantastic place, but it does have its challenges. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very foreign for a lad to um, to, to sort of leave the security uh, and that insulation of being in a community like that to be able to go to a uh, major space where just it's a, a rat race primarily. <clears throat> and I remember like lots of guys from uh, from country Victoria that were good footballers that went down to play uh, play football or cricket and they just couldn't handle the the hustle and bustle and the disconnection. Yeah, right. Of, you know, yeah. really, the, the communities in country areas are so so great because it, it just has a uh, you know a sense of belonging uh, for the individual if you are involved with sport and various things. But once you get down there into the major centres, uh, you just become disconnected with uh with with you know with that but also you just you you go into this fight and fight mode because you you're basically protecting yourself all the time until you walk inside your house yeah yeah yeah. so it's it's amazing yeah and i I went through a bit of that myself at the age of 17 but um uh working in an advertising agency was a huge eye-opener of course because you've got these um you know these elite people who were sort of you know top of the corporate chain Mm. And uh, it was a real eye-opener, I've got to tell you. And uh, so I was, you know, very happy doing that. It seemed to be something that just fitted with me. And um, I suppose that's where I got my start in life because I learned a few things very early in the piece. And even today, I think back now, and I've talked to my wife and even my own kids about this, and I, I still truly don't know why I had this strong desire to leave at the age of 17 because it's almost unheard of you know mm. i mean mm. what parent allows their kid to you know leave h- halfway through year 11. <laughs> <laughs> that's true good point yeah and just up you know just up stakes and go uh, you know i wouldn't do that yeah yeah well, <laughs> but my father my father did and i always look back and thought you know without him um it would have been a difficult thing for me because it was sort of like torn between the love of the bush and uh, all the memories that I have and all the friends that I have in the bush and, um, you know, the magic of the city, I suppose, and the fact that, you know, you've got this un- untapped potential that you can do whatever you want to do if you if you want to have a go. Mm, yeah, mate, you're free in some sense, aren't you? No one knows you. You can run around doing whatever you like. There's not people saying, oh, I saw such and such doing this or such and such doing that. <laughs> That's right. Which which goes on in country areas, which is one of the traps too. Uh, but um, it is. It's a lot of traps for sure. And um, yeah, but uh, I know, mate. I was so gonna, that's pretty- I, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Mark, with regards to working in that high level job. There would have been a fair bit of drinking and that going on in that, in that environment. I would have thought. Well, not really. I started out as the copy boy, so. Um, you know, my job was, there were no fax machines in those days. There were no mobile phones. Um, my job was in the city. They, they were in Pitt Street and they were quite a big agency. So I used to um, wrap up all of the artwork that they did in the copy department, copyright department. And I used to take that down to the client, might be down at Circular Quay or up in Surrey Hills or wherever. And I, 
so my whole day would be running around from what from the client back to the to the company and um you know distributing all of this work that that's how they did it in those days it was basically um the copy boy was the guy who uh probably had more communication with the customer than anybody else because i was talking to them all the time you know mm, yeah yeah um and i i um mr maynard who owned the advertising agency he he was a nice bloke and he took a bit of a shine to me and i think he liked me so he wanted to uh, see me get ahead and i started a tech course for in advertising and um so i'd do a bit of time at tech while i worked at, at the advertising agency but I didn't know at the time that, you know, only being a 17-year-old, but that was never going to work because I hadn't lived my life yet. So yeah. I, was, I wasn't going to start in advertising at 17 and spend the rest of my life in advertising. I would have, mm. you know, that would have been a pretty, pretty unfulfilling life. So, mm. so what happened about 18 then, months huh? later, um, my brother said um, that they were going down to Shepparton to pick fruit. And when we were kids in Canberra, we used to uh, cut asparagus for edgels in the summer holidays. And that was always a nice bit of extra money because it was hard yards and mostly the only people that did it were, um, you know, Italians and Spanish itinerant mm. uh, workers. And uh, we got out there, you know, the crack of dawn. We used to work seven days a week cutting asparagus at edgels. Uh, they don't do it anymore. But it was good money for us. Uh, you know, you'd make, in those days, you'd make a few hundred dollars a week uh, cutting asparagus. Uh, and the basic wage was only like 30 or 40 bucks a week. Mm. That was in the, the late 60s. What, what sort of money were you on in the advertising agency? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I took a big pay cut to do that. Yeah, that's it. Unreal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't making very much money there. I was living in a boarding house uh, North Sydney in Arthur Street, North Sydney, um, and uh, I think we paid uh, $15 a week. It was was full board mm. and included food, food, breakfast and dinner. Unbelievable. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And the, when I first uh, moved to the boarding house, um, I had to room with another bloke, and uh, I think that was fine by me. And anyway, he introduced himself. He said, G'day, my name's Bob Hurrell. I said, Oh, g'day, Bob, uh, Mark, and Clarence Smith. And uh, the first thing I said to him was, How long have you been away from home, Bob? Because <laughs> I'd only been away from home like for a week. Yeah. And um, so that was the most you know conscious thing to me. I was starting to miss home already. Yeah, right. And he said, oh, yeah, I've been away from home for like six years. Really? I said, what? Six years? Because he was a bit older than me. And uh, he was he was a real knock-around, knock-about Aussie bloke, Bob Hurrell. He was a concreter, worked on building sites, laying concrete. And he was as tough as teak. And I'm still mates with him today. After all those years, that was 1970. <laughs> Unbelievable. So he's still around. Yeah. Still around. And um, we still catch up every now and again. Uh, you know, you never forget guys like that. I took him back to Cowra a couple of times. He drove up there, met a few of the mates, got on well with the old man. You know, he was one of the lads and uh, he, was just a, he was just a terrific guy. Mm. I'm and he used to look after me too because he could fight like hell. That's what so you I was only 17 and we'd go out to the pub <laughs> and um, 
you know, someone had uh, looked sideways at me or something like that, Bob would be straight into him. So yeah, we always uh, we all had one of those mates. So it was awesome. He was my great. protector. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. It's, uh, before you learn to stand on your own two feet, it's always good to have someone there to uh, to help you. So that guy coming to your life for a reason, mate, and it's good to see that he's still there. Yeah, no, he was awesome. Uh, I love Bob, and uh, yeah, so he's basically the first bloke I met in Sydney. <laughs> Jeez, and that's what, like 60 years later, or no, probably no, 50 years later, he's still around. So that's that's tremendous, mate. Um, I guess yeah. uh, what we need to do is talk about, uh, you know, your journey from that sort of space and sort of where, where life's led you now because obviously the wonderful things you're doing are helping so many people out there, but you've still got to map out another 30 or 40 years here for us. Um, so I'd be interested. Yeah, to right. So um, breaking away from the advertising agency was... Uh, was probably a big thing to do because that's, you know, I, I actually got back into advertising and marketing later in my life, but uh, I was only 17 going on 18 and I hadn't really uh, lived much. So my brother talked me into going away and a few of the other lads from Cow had gone down to Shepparton yep. in Victoria. You used to live in Shepparton. And that's where all the fruit picking is Yes. in the, in the January, February, March. And so we went down there and um, lived on the... Uh, the pear farm, peaches and pears and apples. That would have been and, out at Ardmona. Uh, would that be right? Or Ardmona? Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it all went to the Ardmona factory for, yep. for processing. Yeah. Yep. So it was in the, um, the Shepparton Valley there and uh, we lived on the farm and basically worked seven days a week picking fruit. So we were pretty used to that because we'd done the, I'd done the asparagus season a few years, you know, as a young bloke and as I said, you know, we were pretty big boys for our age, so we were able to do all the physical work. And um, fruit picking was probably a lot easier than cutting asparagus. Mm. Mm. But uh, we did that and um, then went to Melbourne after that. I think I had, uh, I don't know, 500 bucks we'd saved up or something with 500 bucks and uh, we thought we were rich, so we went down to Melbourne and blew all that and then my sister was getting married and I thought, oh, we've got to get back to Sydney for my sister's wedding. So uh, we didn't have much money left. <clears throat> and so we thought, yeah, we'll just hitchhike back. So we <laughs> uh, jumped on the road at, uh, outside of Melbourne and it took us two and a half days to get back to Sydney. Gee, so you would have got to see more than another bloke would have picked you up and took you to Benalla or wherever back in the day. I was day with or... two mates, two Queensland blokes that we'd been uh, picking fruit with. Um, the two Garys, and uh, when we got back to Sydney, I went to down to the Argyle Tavern where my sister had got married, and I'd missed the wedding by one day. Oh no, fair dinkum! So, so yeah. I was about as popular as a pork chop in a synagogue. <laughs> and, um, no doubt, jeez. My, uh, they, I, I got to the the hotel where everybody was. The two families were together that morning and my sister had just been married and it was the you know, morning after and they were getting ready to go away on their honeymoon. And uh, so I, I knock on the hotel door and they're all in there and the door opens. And there was I, I had just I'd been two and a half days on the road uh, from Melbourne. Mm. Literally had the arse out of my jeans. <laughs> and uh, my father answered the door and I just burst into tears. Jeez. And he's like, He's like, no, it's okay, mate, don't worry about it, it's all good, you know, like, these things happen. And um, 
So he, uh, you know, he was always my rock, the old man. You know, mm, my mother was horrified, but my father was all—he was okay with it all. <laughs> do, do you think that was um, that was that's where a lot of your growth come from? Because he come come to you with a compassion, compassionate space rather than one that was sort of uh, you know, critical. Yeah, he was never judgmental. He was yeah. always always trying to tell you that you know. He, I, I often say to my wife, you know, without my father, I probably wouldn't have been able to do anything because. He was the one that told me when I didn't even understand all of that. He said, you know what? He said, you can do anything if you make up your mind to do something. You, you, you can do it. Mm. All you've got to do is just decide, that's what I'm going to do. And you have the ability to do it. And as you go, you find out, you know, you don't need to know everything. You just need to have the desire. Yeah. Yeah. It's... And I think it was that. I didn't really understand what he was talking about when he first said it. I'm thinking, well, what are you talking about, you know? Mm. But he was looking at the long game and he was saying that, um, you know, life's a long haul and, uh, you know, there are many things that you uh, that you want to achieve. You've got to make up your mind, you know, and go and do it. Mm. So um, amazing. I attribute a lot of my success in life to the old man because he was the one that, I, I guess, gave me the wings, you know. I'm not trying to make it sound uh, more than it was, but he definitely lifted me up. Yeah, it's amazing, mate. Uh, we get these lessons early. I, I sort of got these things from my grandfather and and that. But I, I, I think you get drawn back into the, the the safety. Oh, I can't do that because I need to earn money that uh, is going to keep me, uh, you know, um, able to survive rather than doing what I'm passionate about. And and your dad was sort of saying, follow your passion to you back then. And and then obviously, yeah. then all the uh, the good things would have happened. Your life would be fulfilled. Yeah, for sure. Primarily, that, 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 that's what happens. I think we, I don't know, as humans, we seem to sort of work away from our, our heart and what our real calling is uh, to our head, uh, which is sort of giving us the ability to be able to sort of take that security. Um, yeah, we, and, and you know as well as I, I'm trying to sort of move towards that space that makes me feel fulfilled now as an individual. And uh, I guess that's a big part of the podcast too, to be able to help others uh, step into that too. So, mate, I want you to talk about... You know how you got into what you're doing now, and, and sort of how that sure. evolved. Yeah, that'd, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, hopefully, I'm not boring your listeners too much. But no, I wouldn't um, have thought so. Don't worry. <laughs> it was a bit of a transition, I suppose, from going. Uh, you know, being a bush kid, I was a very shy young bloke when I was growing up, and uh, you know, I didn't have a huge amount of self confidence. So it was the old man that really gave me that confidence and. Once I understood what he was talking about, I thought, oh, well, you know, might as well have a go. There's no point hanging around. Might mm. as well have a lash at it. Mm. So I um, I did that. Once Once I got the fruit-picking bug out of our system and, you know, hanging around with the mates and riding motorbikes and all that sort of thing and sort of uh, being a bit of a, a tearaway after being in the advertising world as a young 17-year-old, I thought, you know what, I really... This, this is not what I want to do. Um, I want to settle down and I want to, you know, do something with my life. You know, I want to get back to what I was doing. And uh, I'd met a girl at the time. I had a girlfriend in which she talked. She was good, and she sort of said, "Yeah, you know, um, we'll go back to Sydney and you know, get started again." So mm. I came back and uh, I wanted to be a hotel manager. So I got a job uh, at the Koala Motor Inn, and um, that was in Oxford Street. And that was in like 1973, Jeez. 1973, 
uh, late 73. And uh, <clears throat> I said to the manager of the hotel then, you know, you're going to start tech and become a hotel manager. And he's going, yeah, I'm going to put you in the restaurant. Um, and uh, I'm gonna, I want you to work there for three months and show me what you've got. I said, no worries. So I gave it my all. And, uh, and he said, I'm going to put you up on the front desk after that and then coordinate it with doing your, your uh, tech course. And after three months, uh, I didn't see him and somebody else went up on the front desk. I went to see him. I said, oh, look, I, I thought we had a deal. And he said, what's that? I said, well, you said you were going to you know, put me on the front desk after three months. I've done the best I can in the restaurant. I used to start there at like five o'clock in the morning. Mm. And uh, he gave me this attitude about, oh, no, you know, you have to do another six months and, you know, I don't know whether blah, blah, blah. And I got quite angry with him. I said, well, you know, a deal's a deal, mate. Where I come from, you know, you, you, you did a deal. And I've done my, I've kept my side of the bargain. And he said, oh, if you don't like it, you can lump it. So oh. I um, told him to stick his job. And uh, I, then I walked out. I thought, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> I've, I've got a place down at Rushcutters Bay and I've got to pay rent and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And, what am I going to do? So in those days, you uh, – and this is how sort of fate – when you stand up for yourself, right, you know, fate steps in. Mm-hmm. And I went out and I thought, gee, I've got to get a job. What will I do? Um, I'll go and get Sydney Morning Carol. So I went and got the paper, which is what you did in those days. And uh, you got, you look through the paper, all the jobs. And I'm looking through, looking through, and it's gone salesman, $350 a week. And I thought, what? <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I think I might do that. So I rang this mob up, and it was uh, the Combined Insurance Company of America. Uh-huh. <laughs> they were in North Sydney. So I went over for the interview, and they said, yeah, we've got a two-week training school. So I went through the training school and, and uh, won the bottle of champagne for being the best presenter. <laughs> and I uh, started working for the Combined Insurance Company of America, and... What that did was it put me back out into the regional area of New South Wales. So I worked from, um, I used to go up Newcastle Way, go right out into the bush. I've almost been to every country town in New South Wales. Mm. And I mean, I'm talking about Wilcannia and Burke and Broken Hill and every Ninga and every possible town in between. I've just about been to every single one of them. During the course of working for this company, right? And, uh, and that's where I learned uh, a lot about myself because it was a very hard job. You were trying to talk to people about, you know, insuring themselves for accident, mainly motor accidents, car accidents. And um, so I did fairly well. I became one of their top salespeople and I became a manager. And I had, at one stage, in a very short period of time, I had eight men working for me in my team uh, and I'd moved on to a different territory, which took in Bathurst and my old hometown of Cowra. And those eight men all had wives and families at home. Mm. So it was my job as the manager to make sure that these guys were able to, you know, support their families and earn enough money. So I, I was working um, seven days a week. Jeez. How old were you? And, and all, of, all of my guys would go, they'd be on territory, let's say, in Bathurst, and, 
on Friday night, they used to come around to the hotel room and they'd sign out, right? They'd, they'd what we used to call pay in. They'd bring all of their work in and pay in. We'd do all the numbers and all the bookwork and, uh, and then they'd all say, okay, you know, have a good weekend and they'd head off home. But I, I couldn't because I had to, every, all the bookwork was done manually in those days. So I used to have to sit there in the hotel all weekend and if I was lucky, I might have got to drive home to Cowra for a half a day on Sunday to see the folks Jeez, because I was in Bathurst, right? Mm. And uh, this went on for, for a couple of years. And I almost had a nervous breakdown because um, I was working so hard that I'd forgot about all the rest of the stuff in life, which was the balance, you know. I, I, I didn't have any balance at all. Mm. If, I, if I got a bit of time off, I'd sort of come into the, Sydney and maybe go out to a nightclub and uh, catch up with a few friends or do something like that, go drinking. Mm. But uh, I didn't really have anything. Mm. And sort of had to kind of question, you know, what is it? Is this what I really want? And, of course, the answer was no. That's not what I want. So um, I made a decision then that I needed a bit more stability, so I thought I'll go back to Sydney and... um, I got a job with Toshiba, oh, yeah. which was a big Japanese company that was coming coming up, and they were in North Sydney as well. And uh, they sold um, office equipment primarily in those days. Photocopiers were the big thing coming out. Yep. This was even before facsimiles or anything like that. This was way back in the early days. Um, so you're talking now mid-70s, mid to just past mid-70s, and... Um, I met a lovely girl and we settled down, shared a unit together and I was working in the corporate world with Toshiba and then um, and basically went from there. So uh, I worked for Toshiba, Sharp uh, uh, and a couple of other uh, companies all in the, the office equipment business. Right? So in those days we had our, our own territories and we worked on commission and you know, I employed people to do a lot of the uh, canvassing work and telephone work. And so I had a little office out at Percival at the time. I moved out there. And um, just when everything was going really well, and I thought I was making some headway, um, I had the worst day of my life. What happened there, mate? Well, that was the day my father died. Uh, that was 1983, is that right? No, 81. 81, jeez, right. So I'd worked from the you know, mid-70s, just past the mid-70s, right through to, to 80, 81, and things were going gangbusters, and um, I was doing really well. And then one day I picked up the phone in my, my unit, and my mother told me that my father had died. Mm. So that kind of jolted me a bit because, um, you know, he'd always been the person that he was the one to me. Mm. He was the one that always held me accountable. If I ever got off the track, he, he would give me a good kick up the ass. Mm. And, uh, but most of the time he was lifting me up with all the positives. But if I ever got too arrogant or became a smart ass, he'd, 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 he'd knock me down very quickly. Mm which was a good thing. Mm. So um, as I said to you earlier, before we started the podcast today, that was a turning point in my life because, um, you know, I was 20, 
28 years of age mm. and uh, just lost the most important person in my life. How old was your dad, mate? Yeah, dad was only, uh, dad was the same age that I am now. He was 68. Mm. And, um, but of course, uh, despite being a, a top sportsman and an amateur boxer, heavyweight boxer and captain of Mossman Rowing Club when he was a young bloke, he, uh, his health was destroyed in World War Two mm. because he spent 12 months in action on the Kokoda track in New Guinea. Mm. They pushed the Japanese back in 1942 back to, to Ghana and basically had to clean up the whole mess up there. And he got malaria and he, his best mate died in his arms and he had tr- tremendous trauma. Mm. And even though he went on to, you know, raise a family, had his own family and 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 did well you know and that never left him mm. so uh, after that I, I went well none of this means anything to me anymore what's the point of all this you know mm. and so as I said to you earlier I saved up for um, about 18 months and uh, decided I was just going to take off and travel around the world see what's out there mm. and that was my first big trip and that was in 83 I turned 30 in London didn't really mean much traveled right through America as I said got to New York City first thing I went down in New York was going to pay homage to John Lennon mm. um, and for everybody out there that's listening you know we Aaron and I talked about this a little earlier. You know, the, John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine, which to me is one of the most, um, you know, iconic songs ever written. When you listen to the lyrics of that song and the music, that's one of the most uplifting things that you could ever have in your life to um, think that there's a potential that everybody could live together and in harmony everybody could um, help each other mm. and just that one word imagine yeah. is one of the most powerful words it opens your heart it's, uh... yeah if you can just imagine just imagine mm. what you can do just imagine who you could be mm. just imagine what you could do to help someone else yeah and that's what your and dad that did other person, just imagine that someone else out there wants to help you that's what your dad was doing in uh, Kokoda Primarily, wasn't he? You know, he was living in that space where his his mate died and all that type of stuff. And uh, you know, we we discussed this earlier, but as humans, I really believe to get into our parasympathetic nervous system often, rather than being our sympathetic nervous system, which is our flight and fight, which is everyone's in. You know, to be able to do these simple things that get us back to that sense of compassion for others. Uh, yep. by being kind, helpful, grateful, all these important things which are our higher levels of consciousness rather than sort of being consistently in the lower levels of consciousness which, which we're, we're, we're pretty well governed, Mark. And, you know, I, I don't think I, I said, I'll tell you more about this off, uh, off air, but you know, when my mother died a few years ago, I saw, you know, I, saw I had one of those what's the point moments uh and yep. uh yeah the, the the real stuff came to me from there uh but um yep. 
But yeah, you can you can access that every day, mate. It's you, we've all got the power and the ability to be able to access that that every day. We've just got to be absolutely. And yeah. you know, Aaron, my dad, one thing he used to say to me a lot, and I didn't really understand it when he first said, but he used to say, just remember, every adversity has the seed of an equal or greater benefit. Growth. Now, when he told me that, I didn't understand that. I didn't know what adversity meant. Mm. Probably because I never had any in my life, but. Um, I often live by that mantra because, you know, we all reach points in our life which are, you know, full of adversity. Mm. And what Dad used to say is that, you know, there's always the seed of, you know, something good. You've just got to, you know, allow it to happen. You've just got to, you know, keep trying so that that comes out. Yeah. Um, and that's helped me a lot. Now, everyone has adversity in their life. Doesn't matter how successful you are. It doesn't matter how much money you've got. Mm. Doesn't matter how many world trips you've been on. Doesn't matter. You, you have adversity, and quite often, mm. uh, the only person you know that can lift you up from that adversity is yourself. Mm. Um, and things things help. You know, things that you do help. Things that I, uh, you know, my father told me help because they still echo in my head. And, uh, you know, it definitely helps. You, you know, f- to have words like imagine and, and a song like imagine, that, that helps. Mm, agree. A, and, a, um, a mantra. I, I, a mantra, I never yeah. met John Lennon, but I appreciate the guy. I don't know why. Maybe he wasn't Maybe he wasn't as good a person as I think he was, but maybe he did bad things. I don't know. But all I know is he wrote something which, which you know, is something special. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, it, those little things help. And everybody needs something that they can grasp onto, something that can help lift them up, something that can help make them feel better. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you listen to the lyrics of that song or I, I hear what my father said about every adversity has to see of an equal or greater benefit, um, those things can turn it around. You know, when you're in a dark place and you think about that, those things can definitely turn you. It can definitely turn you around. Uh, and help you absolutely, out. it brings you back to that sense of peace, mate. Once you're, uh, once you're there, you, you you realize that all the things that are going in and out of your life can be superficial if you can just get back to back to that often. And um, you know that one word. Oh, I'm just going to fast track here a little bit, uh, Mark. But that one word changed your life and. I, I know for me and from what I observed, the products that you're actually making uh, are doing the same thing. You know, it's, 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 it's actually changing people's lives for the better. That's why I was so drawn to it because it's so potent and it just gets back to what humans actually need to be able to give ourselves an environment where we can thrive. Um, and it's getting us back to that sense of... Uh, giving our bodies what it needs to, to find that balance again, you know, when we're getting so consistently thrown out of whack. So that word imagine... Yeah, for sure. Well, well, that word imagine will bring you back to that sense of peace. The products that you've actually got actually bring the body back to a sense of peace. And that's all it's trying to do. It's trying to be peaceful. Our, 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 our spirit is trying to be peaceful on this planet. Our, our mind's trying to be peaceful on this planet. But... You know, uh, that's what was that was that, that's what it was meant for. I believe that's why this world was created to actually give us that chance to live exactly what John Lennon was saying, 
in that, in that state of peace. And that, that's what every human being wants. That's what everything in nature is trying to achieve consistently. Like, you know, you've just got to look outside and see what's going on around you to get out of your mind and see how things are living in flow in peace. Now, this is what yep. this is what I try and get back to every day when I do my morning practices to get back to that sense of, look, everything's okay, mate. You know, this is a, this is a gift for every man out there listening or every person out there listening to be able to get back to that sense of who you really are and your purpose and your your passion in life to be able to um, live life in peace like this guy was saying. And, and that, that message that he actually um, said through that song has had a profound effect on you, which has had a profound effect on, on many others because of the products that you've actually been able to, to develop, which has given them um, their power back. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, I mean, when you think about uh, human beings and all the animals too that live on this planet, you know, this is a tiny little planet that, um, you know, hurdles through space at, you know, thousands and thousands of kilometres per hour spinning at the same time. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a delicate little thing, but guess what? Everybody on it, everything on it is made from the same materials yeah. as the universe. You know, we all come from this universe and it's, um, it means that there are certain elements that we need in our body to make us work properly just like your motor car if you go uh if you put the right oil in and the right petrol in and you get it serviced regularly the car's going to be really good it's going to go nice it's going to sound good it's going to drive well it's going to brake well it's going to handle well and everything but if you neglect that car and you don't put the right oil in or you let the brake pads wear out or you know you're using the wrong fuel well guess what the car's going to break down yeah guarantee it yep yeah. Our body is exactly the same. It gets us back the health to... of our body is identical and our mind is linked to that health. Mm. Um, so there are certain elements that we need to get in our diets, which unfortunately today when, you know, a lot of the food is not coming from soils that are healthy, so therefore the foods are not healthy. Um, there's not enough minerals in the soil, so the plants are deficient, so therefore the people become deficient. Mm. Everything comes back to the uh, health of the soil. If the soil's healthy, the plant will be healthy. Mm. If the plant's healthy, then we're healthy. Mm. Mm. So that kind of led me into what we do, and that is um, how can you... First of all, we came across a product called Hawaiian Spiral Out. Mm-hmm. And this is way back in the, the, the you know the early nineties. Now spirulina in uh, the eighties, seventies, and the eighties was like a was like a hippie food. People thought it was a very alternative thing. It's actually a microalgae. It's a freshwater grown microalgae, and microalgae are an incredible species of plant. They're not a hundred percent plant. They're sort of in between a microorganism and a plant matter. And they even produce things like B12, which are bioavailable, like human active B12, whereas no other plant does that. Uh, They contain a pigment which is blue. It's called phycocyanin. No other plant has that. So they're they're this incredible microorganism, uh, microalgae, and, uh, and of course, people in those days who were a little bit more evolved, perhaps, um, they knew that this was a nutrient-rich, nutrient-dense food 
And if you took just a little bit of it into your diet, it provided you with antioxidants and minerals and vitamins and pigments and all sorts of different proteins and and amino acids and everything else that were vital to your health because we need them every day to, to be healthy. And you could do it by just taking a teaspoon of this stuff. So they called it a superfood because when they did the analyses, they found that there's more nutrition in this food than any other food that's ever been discovered mm. on the planet. Mm. Now, that fascinated me, and I thought, wow, well, well, you know, I've got to find out what this is about. And uh, so we, we got into it, and, of course, this, this product's been selling all around the world to natural therapists, to chemists, to health food stores for, for almost 40 years now. Mm. And it's a wonderful thing because uh, when you start to, you know, if you're eating foods which are chemically farmed or off soil that's chemically farmed and they use pesticides and herbicides and all that sort of stuff to control uh, and, and boost the yields, well, the unfortunate thing is that the soil suffers. Mm. And as you go on, you know, year after year, uh, that soil doesn't get any better. Mm. Uh, and so unless you're eating certified organic food, that is food that's grown on soils that are all uh, um, organically certified, no use of chemicals, no use of phosphates or nitrates or anything like that, um, so unless you're eating organic food, you're not getting the full spectrum of nutrients which keeps your body healthy and your mind healthy. Mm. Mm. And that's what led us into green nutritionals because I worked for a pharmaceutical company once and um, that pharmaceutical company uh, produced a range of vitamins. And, and this is way back in the early days. And, and so I was the sales manager for this company and I... Uh, I used to have to go out and sell these products. And I thought the vitamins were all natural. I'd, no one ever questioned that in those days. Mm. But um, it turns out they weren't. And there was a man, an American man, that I met in New Zealand when I was over there. And I was trying to get distribution of this brand of product, which is like, you know, multivitamins. And uh, it was actually a practitioner line. So the practitioners were buying this. And I, uh, I, I, in those days, again, you know, no mobile phones, the way you used to go about business in those days was you'd go to a hotel, pick up the yellow pages, go start going through all of the health section, try and find somebody who was interested in distributing your product in New Zealand. Good old and that's guys. what I did. Yep, I remember them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was a pretty efficient way of doing because you just basically go through every single one on the list. And... Um, and I ended up ringing up this company and I was telling this guy, you know, he's, he said, what are, you, what are you selling? I said, well, I've got this range of practitioner um, supplements. Um, you know, and the number one seller is this multivitamin. It's got 78 um, ingredients in it. It's a wonderful product. And he's got, oh, is it natural or synthetic? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, the vitamins and the minerals, are they natural or are they synthetic? Mm. I said, well, of course they're natural. And he said, are you sure? I said, well, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> he said, okay. Just get, he said, just go and get the uh, label and read out to me all the ingredients. So uh, I'm doing this to this, this guy with an American accent. His name was Michael Hendrickson. 
and uh, I started reading out the ingredients. And every time I did, he would say, synthetic, 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 synthetic. We went through the whole 78 ingredients and every single one of them was synthetic. So you were the sales said, manager. <laughs> you were the sales manager out there selling this shit and didn't have a clue about what you were selling. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in those days, Aaron, if you went into the health food store or into the chemist shop and you picked up, I won't mention any names, but let's say my dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the first multivitamins that ever came out. I mean, I was a kid when they, that first hit the market. Yeah. And uh, if, um, if you went into the chemist and asked the chemist or the girl in the chemist shop or the person in the health food shop, uh, you know, what, what, are these vitamins natural? They would have said, yeah, of course they are. Yeah. Everybody thought that vitamin C was vitamin C and vitamin B was vitamin B. But what people didn't realise is that well, pharmaceutical companies were synthetically replicating these vitamins and putting them into a, a supplement or into a formula. Mm. And the benefit to them was that they were a lot more stable. So they had a much longer shelf life. Mm. And, um, and they, they replicated the vitamin or the mineral. The minerals were produced in a laboratory mainly from inorganic material using amino acids to chelate the mineral, or they say called chelating, chelating. Mm. And, uh, and so uh, everybody thought that that was just the way it was. The vitamin was a vitamin and the mineral was a mineral. Mm. I didn't know the difference between um, natural and synthetic. But this guy, he told me something that obviously I've never forgotten. And he said, no, they're all synthetic. Um, he said, what we sell, he said, we don't sell synthetics, we sell natural vitamins. So, of course, that piqued my interest. And I said, well, what are natural vitamins? He said, oh, uh, superfoods like spirulina, chlorella, barley grass, wheatgrass, alfalfa. And off he, off he went with this huge list of superfoods, mm. acai, and I know it's something I'd never heard of. <laughs> and so uh, this bloke was amazing. I chatted to him for probably two hours on the phone. And I came back to Australia. And I quit my job. And I went and started selling superfoods. So how did, how did because, you start, mate? Like, where, where, did, where did you go to try and, like... Get a like get a job in this space, or where did you go to? Try no, and well, the guy product? in New Zealand had a range of products, and I said, "Well, I'll sell your products." Go and work for oh, him. I'm not going <laughs> to sell these synthetic ones. I'm going to. I want a piece of this natural vitamin stuff. You know. Good. Yeah. Awesome. And he said, "Okay, come come and work for me." So I did. So, so I started selling his products, which he manufactured. I started selling them here in Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, we basically went from there and. Um, you know, that it got more and more pop- popular because it was a story that, you know, I, I go back to working in an advertising agency at the age of 17. And even though I wasn't in the copyright department, I certainly picked up a few tips. And uh, I found it very easy to market the, the superfoods, the natural vitamins compared to the synthetics. Mm. And in all the years that I've been doing that and explaining to people the difference, can, can, uh, I was going to say no that, one has ever questioned. Can I no just, one has ever questioned it. Yeah, 
I was, I was just going to interrupt. So just to help people understand, we were sort of told when we had vitamin C, our piss would be yellow. But really, if the vitamin C is not natural, it's synthetic. It's the synthetics you're pissing out. Is that right? Yeah, well, we, that's correct. The body's trying to get rid of it as quickly as possible because it's um, it's a synthetic. Uh, it's like anything that you take that the body can't utilise or assimilate. It tries to get through it, uh, get out quickly through your kidneys, mm. uh, which have to bear the brunt of that, mm. and then it goes into your bladder and you you urinate it out. So if you go and take, uh, go and pick. I don't care which big brand. You go and pick anyone, right? Yep. And pick the number one executive uh, multivitamin, executive B formulation, whatever it's called, right? And uh, you try that, I'll guarantee you two hours after taking that tablet, your urine will be yellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my dad used to even say in the old days, he said, oh, yeah, those vitamins are no good. They just give you expensive urine. Yeah, he knew. Unbelievable. He knew. But I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know what he was talking about. Mm, mm, <laughs> I was only yeah. a kid, you know. Yes. Uh, but he was right. We used to get. We used to get. Uh, someone switched us on to taking multivitamins back when we were kids playing football. Yeah. They wanted. We wanted to win more games, obviously. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, that's what happens. So, um, I, you know, the challenge is to compare, right? How can you compare this to a superfood? Well, you see, a superfood. Um, people think that cow's milk, this is a good example, right? For years and years and years on TV, they talked about dairy and calcium, right? Mm. Um, you know, milk, cow's milk is where it's at, okay? That's where you get your calcium from. Mm. And everybody believed that. You know, cheese uh, it contains milk, so that's got calcium. Uh, the milk is rich in calcium. Oh, milk, you know, cows. Mm. That's where the calcium comes from, <laughs> yeah, the cows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what people didn't know, and this is just because everyone's consciousness was just at a much lower level, is that the cow doesn't produce the calcium. The grass. The plant, yeah. the plant that the cow eats produces the calcium. Yeah, that's right. And the, and the plant can only get the calcium into itself if it's in the soil. Mm. And that's the same as iron and zinc and molybdenum and every other mineral. 74 of them, right? Mm-hmm. 78 of them, sorry. Mm. Uh, if they're not in the soil, the, they exist in the soil in what I call the metallic form, mm. which is in a rock or sand or whatever, right? Soil. The plant takes them from the metallic form and through photosynthesis converts them into what I call an organic form. So you've got your metallic form or inorganic vitamins in the soil. We don't eat rocks, do we? No, that's right, yeah. We, yeah. we don't eat dirt. If we did, it would kind of make us a bit sick because those minerals are, they're inorganic. They're, um, they're like metallic minerals. Yes. But once the plant takes them out of the soil, the vegetable or the plant or the food, it converts that mineral or that vitamin into what I call an organic vitamin, which is what we eat. Our human body is designed to eat plants, not rocks. Yeah. Yep. But what the chemical companies decided to do many years ago was that they could produce iron from taking a a rock and through a laboratory process with amino acids and chelation, they could produce iron. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Mm. Pretty cheap too because they produce it for like two cents and Mm. sell it for $2. 
Could, could I ask a, a question, problem, Mark? Right? Could I ask a question, Mark? Um, like collagen, for example, which is you know primarily crushed pig's bones, um, that was probably invented somewhere along the line to make us think that we needed that. How does collagen uh, get naturally into the body? Do you have any any uh, any suggestions around that one or? Well, we don't sell collagen as yeah. as a product, but it is a very big segment in the market out there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, my daughter for years was going on about collagen and how it's important for the skin and she wants it for beauty and all that sort of thing. I said, well, you're, you're beautiful enough, so you don't really need collagen, but mm. what are you going to get it from? Um, why don't you get it? Why don't you just have a diet that produces collagen in your own body? Yeah. Because if you've got all the elements uh, in their right form, your body's going to produce it for your own skin. Mm. You don't need to take it from another animal that's produced collagen in their body and try and assimilate it into your body. Yes. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. So once upon a time, there was a, uh, a calcium supplement that came out. And, and I'm talking, this is in the early 90s, last century. And they called it hydroxyapatite. Okay. Have you ever come across that? Rings a bell, yeah, it does. No, calcium hydroxyapatite. Well, this was marketed as the greatest new, this is the most bioavailable, uh, the richest form of calcium you could possibly get. Well, everyone went nuts for it. Every company came out with calcium hydroxyapatite. Mm. And then I found out that um, they actually got it by crushing cow bones Mm. and then making the product out of crushed cow bones yeah i know i know mate that's oh that's revolting i mean firstly but secondly how does the calcium in a cow bone is in the right form for us to be able to eat it and utilize it and have it in our own body to form bone Mm, mm. doesn't work yeah doesn't work it's bringing back lots of stuff like we can we can talk very deeply about this but i I, I, oh, I was offered a role uh, a while back with an organisation um, uh, that, uh, that is an abattoir. I went through the abattoir and they showed me exactly how much of the animal I actually use uh, and they don't waste anything. The bile goes into Red Bull. Uh, <laughs> all these different things go into different beauty products, this, that and the other. You know, yeah. uh, it's, uh, that's, a, that's a conversation for another day. But... Um, it's not really getting, yeah. getting us back to what the human actually needs to thrive, is it? Okay, so if you compare that, uh, so if your, your listeners compare something like cow bones in a calcium supplement or any other form of calcium that they have mainly you know, sold through the stores, compare that to the type of calcium that we sell, okay? Mm-hmm. Because it's cheese and chalk. <laughs> in fact, they make calcium out of chalk, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have a product called Green Calcium which is very, very popular. Now, why is it popular? Because it's 100% plant material, mm. 100%. It's actually taken from the ocean. Um, it's, a, um, it's an ocean plant um, called Lithothamnium calcarium. That's the botanical name for it. Mm-hmm. And it grows in the pristine ocean waters off Iceland and off Ireland, up in the Atlantic where there's... Uh, it's just magnificent, right? And there's huge forests of this stuff that grow out in the ocean. And it has a natural life cycle where it grows. These forests are bigger than any forest that exists on Earth. Mm. It's hard to imagine. 
because we can't see it, <laughs> right? Yeah. But here they are, and they absorb uh, this incredible amount of uh, mineral from the ocean. Yeah. And and the calcium level is extremely high. So this material, lithothamnium calcarium, was um, discovered by a guy, an Irishman, and they started to harvest it because what happened, they, they, they didn't have to kill the plant. The plant itself has a life cycle. And after, when its life cycle is over, just like ours, it lays down and lays itself down on the bottom of the ocean bed, right? Mm. And what they discovered was you could go out and harvest that off the ocean floor and wash it and eat it. And when you ate it, it delivered high levels of organic calcium because it's in a, still in a plant material. Mm-hmm. Even though it's dried out, it's still a plant. It's been through the plant process, so it's an organic mineral. And it also contains 74 other trace elements, including magnesium and iron and zinc and iodine in a very small amount and a lot of others, which are all vitally important for us. Mm. There are minerals and trace minerals which don't exist in our regular food that we buy from the supermarket. They don't exist because the chemicals have taken over. Yeah, yeah. And we need them. We need every single one of them because we're, we belong to the universe and everything that's in the universe, which are all those 78 elements, are all part of us. Yeah, yeah. They're part of everything. The soil, us. If we're, if we're missing, um, if we're deficient in iodine, for example, or iodine in our bodies, the health ramifications are huge. You can get hyper or hypothyroidism mm. which is a terrible thing yes yep so yep. the balance of the minerals is probably the you know a natural therapist told me once many years ago that um the building blocks of good health are a mineral base and if you've got a very strong mineral base you can then add on all of the vitamins you can add on the herbs you can add on all of the other extra things but the mineral base has to be there without the mineral base uh you're not going to achieve you know the optimum health it's the foundation what are your products that provide like optimum mineral base well it's the we have two it's the green calcium which is um, primarily calcium because 34 percent of it is organic calcium but it also contains the 74 other trace elements uh including all of the minerals and and trace minerals Mm. and then we have one called marine magnesium and marine magnesium is predominantly magnesium which is extracted from pure ocean water again up in ireland Mm. and iceland and um and then we add um, the plant minerals to it so you get the broad spectrum of minerals in that product as well so anyone who who takes green calcium or marine magnesium is not only getting the calcium and the magnesium, but they're getting a broad spectrum of organic minerals mm. and trace minerals. Mm. And those trace minerals, you just can't get them from regular food. They're gone. Mm. Unless they're putting uh, the crushed rock and the organic matter back into the soil, it's not there. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable, mate. This has given me such a, a great education. I have, I, have, uh, I, can, no. I can see the green calcium sit, sitting in front of me. I want to have some I, I've got to try and figure out for my own body like the best times of day to take to 
take various things or consume various things. So I keep myself in balance. You know, Mark, yeah. uh, I think we've had the conversation, but like I was like right into athletics years ago and I'd, I'd go running for like three, four, five hours and then I'd, I'd get home and I'd make a 25 banana smoothie and I'd drink that yeah. and then my body would just go into this like shock state and I thought I was doing the right thing. But um, yeah. but if I if I if I consume something that my body digests and really um, no, like works effortlessly, then all of a sudden all the cells start vibrating and things start to 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 sing yeah. for you, you know. So this is why. I well, it's like the old saying, isn't it? It's not what you eat; it's what your body can utilize, what your body can absorb. Um, yeah. And a lot of the food that we eat today, it's in a form where it's very difficult to digest. Yes. And if you're not digesting the food, then your body's not extracting the nutrients. And if they're not extracting the nutrients, then you might as well not be eating the food. Yeah, that's a it's, good point. It's, uh, but a lot of the food today is empty. Um, you know, look, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm a, I'm a country kid. Uh, I love a meat pie. Fish and chips. You know, I mean, there's nothing better than a beer, cold <laughs> beer and a hot meat pie watching <laughs> the football, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we I still do that. But... You, what I what I have learned over the years is, yeah, you can have a meat pie and you can you can eat um, other junk food every now and again, but it can't become your staple diet. You have to predominantly be taking live foods, and live foods are like the superfoods and the organic foods that are vibrant. They're full of nutrients. They're ready to be absorbed when you eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll correct any deficiencies in your body, which then corrects any health problems in your body. Mm. And so you don't have the reliance on, on you know, taking um, medications to try and uh, fix certain things. The body can do that. Mm. Uh, it, you know, you just need to give it the right fuel. It come back, comes back to the car analogy. If you're putting the right stuff in the car, the car's going to be great. But if it's got the wrong fuel... You got problems. Yeah, and 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 it's happening time and time again. We're outsourcing. Why why are all these episodes of cancer popping up consistently? Well, you know that's that's a prime example of why. Why is anxiety and depression popping up so consistently? Well, probably because a lot of the foods that we're eating are not um, you know natural to our bodies. So our bodies are saying, well, hey, we're gonna we're gonna make you feel a certain way here. Um, so you know, rather than ignoring that, become smart with the actual functionality of the human body and how that uh, is also in line with the mind and how they can work you know optimally together which gets us back to our real self which is our, our soul our, our spirit and if, if that's all working in harmony then all of a sudden we're going to have a great life you know but if we yeah for sure yeah and the unfortunate thing is that as 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 human beings in the 21st century we've evolved we think we have mm. and we've kind of lost our instinct for what's right and what's good for us yes. um, you know there's a lot of propaganda out there in terms of um, you know what you should do and what you shouldn't do um, you know what's right what's wrong and coming back to the very basics of diet uh, you know I'll give you a, an example that I use quite often is um, in in uh, in the traditional African community in Africa, right, the natives there, they don't have a word for bowel cancer. No, that's right. Yeah. In in their in their languages, there's a number of different languages. They don't have a word for it. Um, but the biggest killer of African Americans is bowel cancer. Mm. 
Really? That yeah. So African Americans, that that is people living and and eating, uh, you know, living in America. The biggest killer of African American men is bowel cancer. Because of overconsumption of meat. Uh, because of the diet, right? The diet is just completely wrong. It's just, it's, um, yeah, the bowel just can't handle the diet. Whereas as a native, if they go back, uh, you go back 500 years to the African natives, uh, they never, no one died of bowel cancer mm. because they're eating a predominantly natural diet of, um, you know, seeds yeah. and foods that were nutrient rich, um, you know, we, we had one that we had in our range for some time, which was called baobab. Baobab is a seed that grows on, everyone knows what the baobab tree looks like, yeah, a big yeah. fat tree. Yep, I know them well. And the seeds were um, the only seeds that naturally dry themselves out um, when they're on the tree and then they fall to the ground and the natives would, would eat that. And it was just full of nutrients and fibres and all the natural fibre that they had. And then, of course... As they evolved in inverted commas and became African Americans in the 21st century, all of that fibre and all of those natural nutrients that they got from eating the the natural foods uh, disappeared. Yeah. Disappeared over the course of you know two or three hundred years, and of course that's the consequence now mm. is that they, they have obesity and they have uh, rampant bowel cancer. Yeah, all the things that are uh, denaturing them. It's amazing, mate. Um, we have uh, all these gifts that were actually given to us that we've just sort of stripped away, stripped away, stripped away. And I just think, you know, now's time to people for people to start to take charge again and say, well, maybe if I am lucky in a certain area, I can correct that without sort of going down the way that we mainly, you know, may, may think is, is right. Um, you know, all these Yeah, and I, uh, I might just add, you know, that we've talked about this before, Aaron, that it, it's not a quick fix. Mm, um, it takes time. Natural foods and, and, and natural health is not a quick fix. You can't just take one tablet and do it. It's an incremental thing. Mm. And by incremental, I mean that it's a, very, it's a step by step. Um, you know, my father used to say to me, um, inch by inch is a cinch. Yes. But yard by yard is very hard. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was his way of saying, just stick to it and do a little bit at a time, you'll be right. And health is like that. You have to, it's an incremental day by day, inch by inch. And you take a little bit and you take a little bit more. And you add something better and you get rid of something that's not good. And so you change your diet and you do it gradually. And I've always been a great believer um, that three months a human being can change their body in three months. Yeah, I need to. Uh, if you take yeah. a guy who uh, and you take him to the gym and you work him out on weights and give him the right diet, three months later, you've created this amazing body. Mm. And you can do the opposite. You can take somebody who's got an amazing body and who's fit and strong and you put them on the wrong diet, give them the wrong uh, foods, whatever, right, and abuse the body. In three months, they'll go from perfectly healthy to perfectly sick. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's interesting. Uh, you know, the, the mind of a human will always take it to the end result, wanting it quickly. So, say for example, if I go running, I've got to really check myself because if I'm going towards the hill, I see the top of the hill. But if I just actually come back to the step by step by step by step, then all of a sudden that, that top of the hill uh, comes. But if you're looking at yeah. the uh, anticipation of the top, then your mind is like getting into that flight and fight state consistently. So that actually takes yeah, you get over. overwhelmed. Yeah, you do. So the diet's the same thing. So 
I really encourage people if they're going to use your products to stick with them for you know for time because you're not you're going to get days where you're going to feel uh, really good days you're going to sort of go uh, out of balance but if you stick with them over you know 21 days uh, 40 days and beyond then all of a sudden your body's yeah. going to get back into that harmony again and it's always looking yeah. for for harmony and health mark um, as we as we've discussed mate we we need to probably um, uh, to finish this because people will um, uh, yeah we'll basically get bored with uh, with our conversation we'll have to do a part two people, but... I think maybe they're just falling asleep mate <laughs> no no I wouldn't have thought so I, 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 I wouldn't have thought so but we'll do a part two soon and to be, pick uh, particular products and topics that we can actually go into more detail with but I really wanted today to get you on to hear a bit about your story as an individual and a man and Oh, thanks, mate. How you've actually gotten to the stage where you are, uh, because you know your journey is very common to, to most of us out there, having to go through all these sorts of twists and turns to really get into something where you're living that uh, lesson that you heard from John Lennon all those years ago. You know, to try and get back to, to doing things that are actually giving people harmony again, and, and through nutrition and through words like he did for you uh it's actually giving us the power and the ability to be able to help others do the same thing so I'm really yeah happy. i think it gives you uh you know that little um, tiny little bit of hope sometimes when you need it and um everybody needs hope obviously agree absolutely mate if you've got something that can support that uh and this is why i was keen to you know do this with you because we're, we're trying to support mental health and well-being out there and that mental health and well-being comes from physical health and well-being. So if people can start to become a little bit more uh, aware by what they're consuming, it's going to help their ha- health and happiness physically and mentally. And, you know, that's why I just think it's important because if I want to do this uh, to my capacity, I've got to have people like yourself on board helping me so we can learn and grow and, and thrive together. You know, that's what it's all about. And that's what, yeah. John, that's what John Lennon said. Imagine yeah, all absolutely. the people, you know, imagine all the people doing it, you know, uh in peace and in harmony and and if we're doing that yeah. in harmony and not having an agenda then all of a sudden you know good things will happen could you imagine oh could mate, you imagine I'm what try- the world would be like i'm trying to absolutely could you imagine how amazing it would be i mean that's why i love the word imagine so much because it just um it just shows you that there's all sorts of possibilities and yeah you know you can bring that back to yourself um you know hope is a wonderful thing when you get the opportunity to make a change Mm. whether it's you know whether you're helping somebody else or whether you're helping yourself you're still making a change and that can be uplifting um you know we get people all the time we have customers in our business that have been buying our products for 25 years Mm. 25 years Mm. And, and we don't do the hard sell we just put it out there and tell them what it is and that's that's you know up to them and uh once they get onto it and they they share it around to other people and we have we have many customers who say you know that i've changed people's lives by switching them onto your products mm. and uh you know they just start out small and they just build it up gradually and at the end of the day they've um, they made a change the either pro- to themselves or to somebody else the, the, the this product takes care of itself you know because it's getting back to back to what the what the body really wants and that that's what i really like about it mate so i'm so grateful for our chat how can people reach you if they want to mark like what's the best way of uh, of getting in touch and and obviously details well probably if if somebody's interested in finding out about green nutritionals just go to um 
the website, which is greennutritionals.com.au. Yep. And, uh, and just have a you know, read of what's in there. It's just basically straight up, you know, our, um, you know, our thoughts on, on how it all works. And it's very simple. We have, uh, we believe in things like, you know, total transparency of, of, you know, where, where the ingredients come from, where we buy our superfoods, who the people are that we get our superfoods from, why do we choose them? Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of packaging do we use? Because, you know, superfoods and uh, plastic don't really go together. I mean, plastic doesn't really go together with our planet. You know, it's, uh, it's a toxic thing. Mm-hmm. And we have a policy where we don't use plastic packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, people used to laugh at us back in the early days. Like, what, are you talking, what are you talking about? Why would you go and get glass bottles with metal lids when you can just get the plastic? The new plastic came out. Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And it only costs about, you know, one cent. You're spending 20 cents. Mm. And we said, well, you know, the plastic, you know, A, it doesn't protect the superfoods because most of the plastics are um, oxygen porous. So the oxygen goes, the oxygen molecule is so small uh, that it goes through the wall of the plastic bottle. Now, most people don't know that. Mm. Okay. Mm. And so when you've got a product in a plastic bottle, it's got oxygen eating away at it the whole time. So oxygen creates oxidation, and oxidation destroys nutrients. Mm. So we pack it in a process where no oxygen can get in that bottle. So when you buy that superfood and it's been on the shelf for maybe, let's say, three months, could be a year, although our stuff sells pretty quickly. But what do you want, a product sitting on a shelf that's been eaten by oxygen for one year? Yeah. Well, you want one that's completely free from oxygen and has never been touched from the time that lid went on. It's been in a vacuum. And that's what we do. Um, that's, that's a, that's now, that all costs us more money, but we, we then know that the superfoods that we buy and sell, when they get to you, the customer, they're in prime condition. They're, they're, all the nutrients are intact. The potency is there. The purity is there. It hasn't been oxidized. It's great. That's what we want. That's why people get such a good result, because they're not eating something that's been, um, you know, it's not, it's not dead. It's alive, mm. Mm. literally bursting with life, bursting with nutrients. You're, you're taking and that. That's what our bodies want. So well, once we the, get them, we start bursting with life as well. Well, that, that, but you're taking that extra step to take care of humanity, eh? And that, that's so, that's so great because most people are looking at the bottom line before, uh, before you know what's actually. Uh, the core of their business. So if you're taking that extra step, um, you know, you're such a unique organisation to be able to actually do that, to give back to people uh, the premium product which um, which you're delivering. So I really encourage people to get on the website and read up about it. I think there's some e-books on there as well uh, that they can download and give some ideas. Yeah, for sure. If anyone's got any questions, they want to just shoot off an email to uh, info at greennutritionals.com.au and we'll... Um definitely get in touch with them yeah um yeah so everybody has um you know reaches the consciousness at different times you know um sometimes you know you need a bit of a hand to understand things and we're happy to do that we just give people information and say well just you know go research it yourself yeah and they generally come back with um you know the desire to to change by including those kind of foods in their lives because it does definitely help there are people out there that are so deficient in 
just the basic things you're like well how could that be we're living in this world where all this food's available mm. we've got food coming out of our ears and uh half of it's no good yeah that's right yeah exactly we don't we don't see it that way though mate we just think it's well what's marketed to us is is the right way but it's it's so so wrong you know get back to nature and get back to our our harmony and natural rhythm and and then we can start to thrive again so get those building blocks back in place might take two or three months but it's a pretty good investment to live a healthful life i guess yeah Mate's well, you know, I'm not, I'm not advocate, advocating people go out and buy organically grown food because it does cost a little bit extra and quite often it's not that available. But I challenge anybody to um, to do the old tomato test. Yeah. And um, that is you get a certified organically grown tomato and you compare it to a tomato that's just grown out in the chemically grown field that's been chemically farmed for the last 20 years. Yeah. You slice those tomatoes open and then you taste them. First of all, look at them because they're totally different to look at. One has one has all of the guts and content and the other one's you know pretty it looks like some of it's missing. Mm. And then have a taste of it. And tell me which one contains all the vitamin C and all the nutrients that make you healthy and the other one doesn't. Your body will tell you, hey, it'll, it'll, it'll tell you. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an eye-opener when you do it because you think, well, hang on a minute. From the outside, when you just look at them sitting on the bench in the kitchen, they look identical. Yeah. But when you cut them open, you find out that this one was just grown with sulfate and phosphate and this one was grown on soil which was so alive they, you know, that was worms were coming out of the soil left, right, and centre. Right? Mm, that's right. If yeah. the if the soil's not full of worms, it's not alive, is it? A hundred percent, mate. My my grandfather, being a father, a, a farmer, used to plough the paddock. The worms would go. Sorry, the crows would go along to get the worms out of the ground. Uh, now it's just barren. You don't see any, any of that going on. You know, so same yeah. thing. Same thing. Mark, we better wrap it up there, mate. But. Um, Really great, right, great for your time and, uh, yeah, look forward to uh, doing more work with you in the future and getting your product out there to more of our, our people listening. And I, I, I don't just do this because I need a hand. I'm doing it because I know how good Mark's products are and I want to be able to, you know, share that with other, other people out there because I know uh, mental health is a, is, is a thing that we think is all above the shoulders. It's not. It's, it's actually happening well and truly below that. And, um we can get our, our bodies working better then we're going to have a, a more balanced uh, mindset which is going to help us ha- happy be more ha- happy healthy and uh, more alive in the future and that's that's better than being depressed and anxious and stressed and unhealthy so uh, stay tuned for more uh, more good uh, content from Mark in the future as this evolves because I think he's got so much knowledge that we haven't really tapped into today so I appreciate your time mate oh that's fantastic thanks Aaron Guys, um, if you've got to the end of this podcast, I really am grateful and I I thank you for that. Sometimes people come into our lives for the right reasons and I just believe uh, Mark's come into my life um, for the right reason because as we discussed in the conversation, it's not just about UI, what we have, what we've done, any of that. If we can start to um, live more from our heart, be able to help other people, Get back to what John Lennon was saying in that song. Imagine all the people living life in peace and in harmony. Um, that's our birthright. That's that's what we're meant to be doing here. So uh, I've nearly got tears in my eyes when I'm, I'm saying this, and uh, I just 
hope that you um, can appreciate the gift that Mark's actually giving um, to humanity to be able to give products that actually like help us get back to functioning physically and mentally uh, to our capacity. And as I said, I, I wouldn't get uh, someone helping me out unless I was really aligned with what they're doing. So uh, I hope that you um, can try their products because it's, it's such an amazing um amazing amazing thing and what they do is just so um, potent and profound and powerful um, that can really help our our well-being um, so yeah really encourage you to uh, to jump on uh, the website and check that out thanks very much guys if you want to touch base with me uh, email support at backmind.com.au or just the website at backmind.com.au thank you very much cheers